Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 26 with Kenny Brown. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. Uh, we've got a fantastic guest for you this episode. It's Kenny Brown, who's currently head of coaching at Millwall Football Club. Uh, Kenny's had a long and successful career in football as a player, as a long career as a player, uh, who also played at West Ham, and then uh, went into coaching, managing in, uh, in first team football, and then working in youth development, who is now with uh, Millwall FC as head of coaching now. Um, it took me a while to get hold of uh, Kenny. He's a very busy man, as most guys are within uh, academy football. Um, so uh, really pleased he came on the show. Uh, he's a real football man. Like He comes from a football family. His dad played for West Ham. His uh, sons both play. And so I was really fortunate to come on the show. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this episode was uh, a little longer than usual. And um, I'm really conscious of the fact, actually, when I'm working with these guys, I've got these guys, it's not holding them up too long, so I know they're very busy. So I sort of cut the interview, cut the interview, finished the interview, and then we press stop on the, on, the, uh, on the recorder, and then we end up talking for an over an hour or more. So he's a really interesting guy, uh, a lot of knowledge. You know, the reason I started this podcast was really to, to speak to people like Kenny, and learn uh, myself, improve myself, and uh, this is a really um, interesting, fascinating episode. Kenny's got so much wealth of knowledge and experience to to share with you guys. I know you're going to enjoy it, so this is definitely one of my favourites. So thanks again, Kenny, for coming on the show, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to take a lot from it. So uh, that's great. We did um, we did the, the recording at a hotel reception where I've used before, and it was a bit busy there, so the sound quality is not it's not not as good as usual, but you can still hear it. Um, but uh, don't let that put you off because this really is uh, a fantastic episode. So we'll go with my personal football coach. Um, been a busy summer already myself. I'm working with a lot of uh, young pros just before they go into pre-season. Uh, it's been fantastic actually. I've worked with so many top young players. Uh, the app uh, is going from strength to strength. Uh, we're just about to release the five to seven year olds program, which I'm really excited about. That'll be out in the next couple of weeks, early July. Uh, it's been ready for a while, but I just wasn't happy with it. So we made a few tw- tweaks. We've had some more content, lots of content on there for you. So the uh, five to seven year old program part one is coming out in early July. So get ready. Uh, I think it's really going to help take the app to the next level. So that means we've got five to sevens program, the eights to elevens program, 12 to 16s and the 17s plus program. So something for everyone there. Uh, really, if you're interested in supporting your, your yourself or your child's technical development, this is a must. And most importantly, it's a lot of fun as well, and you can support your yourself or your children to become independent learners. So really excellent uh, and pleased how that's going. Um, also, um, clubs from around the globe joining our unique club partnership program. So uh, we have teams and clubs uh, signing up. So if you're interested, if you're a team or you're a club, you want to add value to your, to your team or your club and, and support technical development, take it to the next level, uh, just drop me a line. I can tell you about the club partnership. Obviously, all the players will get access to the app. Um, the technical training app, the Dynamic Ball Mastery Program, all the coaches also, and then all the coaches will get access to the Coaches Pass, which is the online resource um, available. So uh, really happy that's going. 
really uh, feel privileged that so many clubs around the world are, are taking that step to support their players and really add value to their clubs. So busy summer coming ahead. Um, record, have several excellent podcast interviews coming, pre-recorded. So we'll be uh, releasing them in the next few weeks. So lots to come and uh, I hope you enjoy. So, Kenny Brown, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, can you just give us a little bit of background about your playing and coaching experience up to this date? Well, how long we got? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, well, playing career was I started off in the, in the YTS game at Norwich. Um, we were the first year of the actual YTS game, so obviously the government backed it. Um, so I had done the apprenticeship there two years. And fortunate enough to sign uh, professional forms and, and in them, back in them days you went into the reserves which was a you know, fully fledged squad uh, made up of second third year pros ex, you know first team players that came that were either not in the squad or not in the team sorry or come back from injury and obviously the group that came up through, through the youth team um, and it was, it was good, good times I had sort of 18 months in that and and worked my way into the first team at Norwich. So uh, that was my early football. Uh, made my debut at Norwich, uh, I believe it was 17. Finished the back end of that season playing the last 17 games in the old, what is now the Proxy the Premier League. Uh, finished fifth in the league. And um, yeah, it was all good. Um, really enjoyed, I mean, uh, still today it's got a good name, Norwich. It's, producing players, producing coaches, managers, uh, a really good setup now, um, a really good environment to, to learn and to, to sort of to learn your trade really. Um, so I look back on that and that, that obviously set me in good stead for, for my future career in football. So I really enjoyed my period of knowledge. So you played quite a lot of played quite a lot of clubs didn't you? What do you what do you call the um pinnacle of your playing career maybe is it does it be your time West Ham yeah I think so I, you know I left Nigel went to Plymouth had three really good seasons down at Plymouth uh, in, in what is now the championship uh, met some really good people and again just learned a lot learned about myself I was a young I was 19 20 and uh, my first time really away from home three years of, of just enjoying my football playing week in week out at a decent level and it, it manned me up so uh, but obviously after that the, the, like you say the pinnacle was, was following in my dad's footsteps and, and getting the opportunity to play at West Ham just, just go I mean obviously we're going to talk about your coaching but I just want to your time at West Ham it has such um, a reputation for the way it plays and you know the way it approaches the game Billy Bonds was a the manager there is that right yeah, yeah. so tell us a little bit about the philosophy of the club then and then what did that look like in terms of on the training pitch when you're training with the manager and stuff well, Bill had, um, you know, it was very, very traditional. You know, it was, it was a really welcoming, it was a family club. Um, I think that was the biggest thing. You walked in and, you know, you'd walk into Chad Reef, you'd have the Bill sitting on your right with, with Ernie Gregory, you know, who played when my dad was there. Uh, Ronnie Boyce was Bill's assistant. Tony Carr was there. Um, it was just that, and then you'd have ex-players always coming in from Bill's era. Um, so it was, a, it was just a, a joy to go in every morning. Um, you felt the history in the club, and you obviously you knew about it. I played against West Ham you know, numerous times in the old South East Counties, again in the reserves, in the Combination League, and, and at first team level. I actually played against Liam Brady when he made his debut for West Ham, and I was at Norwich. Um, so 
and obviously the history with, with West Ham through my dad, so I knew what I was going into. But um, I think the whole what you hear and what you saw for the outside looking in and, and you know the good name West Ham had, you realise that from you know the first hour you're at the club. Uh, really welcoming, and then of course when you go out on the training ground, a lot of a lot of technical stuff, um, all well planned out, all well thought out. Um, but again, it was it was more of a group of players taking it all in the all in the same direction. It was very well led, and uh, again, it was, a, it was a massive learning curve for me coming from from probably Plymouth where I played. Um, but again, I look back on my time at Norwich. And again, the philosophies were very similar in how the game should be played. So what, what, tell us a bit about that then. What, was the, what were the philosophies? What, how should the game be played in the, in the eyes of the, you know, the West Ham? I, said, I think anybody, you know, I know it's, it's for the younger ones now, everyone looks at, and I think it's people looking in at West Ham go, well, what is the West Ham way? And I know it gets thrown up a lot. Um, but there was always a, we had a, a duty to entertain. Um, but doing it the right way. So it wasn't a carefree, just go out and do what you want. It was organised, but there was a, you had a, the ball had to be played on the, you know, had to be played on the floor. There was a real philosophy, you had to play through the thirds. You know, everything that gets wheeled out now about how you, you know, play out from the back and, and go through the thirds, rotation of the midfield, you know, that was just happening because you had good players in there, but they were brought up, you know, they, they recruited players that could play that way. Um, not afraid to go longer if they had to go longer, but everything was built around the ball. Everything was manipulated around the ball, so training sessions, games. Um, and you had, a, you had a bit of a free range as well, so players could express themselves. The players in the main positions, in the middle of the park, wide, up front, you know, there wasn't restrictions on them. They were defensively, but offensively, it was a lot of bouncing off each other. And, and, so what did those training sessions look like under B1? I'm just curious. Well, again, it, it was where, you, where you're looking at, you go out, and it's the same now, you know, it's all organised properly. Um, but it was structured in so that you had, there was a, there was a plan for, if, you were, you know, if we're working on a certain thing from, from going into the attacking third, into the final third, There'd be a lot of phases of play, you know, drills. Of we're getting into these type of areas, you know, the movements of the different players, and obviously the reactions from the other ones. And there was a lot with the ball and a lot of offensive play. There was a lot less defensive work. Um, we'd still do unit work, go off and do our unit work. But the biggest thing you remember back is, you know, there was a lot of offensive football. Everything was to go forward, to go and play to go and score goals um, and again we weren't a, we weren't the greatest team in the world you know and definitely not the greatest team at West Ham but I think whenever I speak to people now there was a you knew what was turning up every week whether you were winning or losing uh, you know that the team had a real a work ethic um, but also there was a there was an opportunity they were going to go and uh, entertain as well so, Do you think looking back that the um the, the, those sessions, the style of coaching, the methodology has changed that much to the modern day? Is it like, you look back and say, well, you know, that's, you look at a session now, you, I mean, now you're at Millwall, obviously, if you're watching the first team, has it remarkably changed or is it the similar sorts of themes or is it not much difference? Or I think it's a lot more open now. I think what happened was the way it's gone is that uh, 
players, coaches are a lot more. They ask a lot more questions. You know, they, you need to be prepared. You know, you need to be. Uh, you're getting challenged all the time. Every day you're getting challenged, whether that's by other staff, peers, uh, above, below, players, parents. All want to know why you're doing it, what we're doing it for, and you have to be prepared. You know, there, there has to be a plan behind it. Um, I think back in them days, you, know, you trusted the management staff, you trusted the club. I obviously I was going up a level, so you know I was going back into the league, into, into sort of uh, Division One, but with the top London clubs. Um, so you went in, and they would have had all that. They, you know. They were top people in their game, so you trusted them, but you you didn't have that um, that sort of mindset of going, well, why are we doing this? You know, why, that, that they didn't. It wasn't as open as it is now, and there wasn't that opportunity probably to do it. Um, so it, there was a lot more command, a lot more. You know, this is what this is how we do it. Uh, I think not. That's not just at West Ham. I think that's how it was. But again, the staffing was. You know, like I said, I reeled off three names. That was your staff, you know, and a physio, uh, John Green. But you're going to staff now into a Premier League club, you know, you can reel off 15, 16 bodies. So there's a lot more to, to deal with now in, in, in obviously football now to, to when it was when I was playing, especially at West Ham. Well, what would you say then are your, mo- your, ma- your, your main takeaways then as, your pl- as a player to, to then as, as a coach from that, it's that something I, Yeah, I get asked it quite a bit and it's, you know, for me, really you're stripping it right down and, it, and it's helped me in, in football, out of football, in my general life. But you've got to have these core values and I think that was the biggest thing that was at West Ham and at Norwich. But you had values and, and it was drilled into you, you know, all the, all the things about being polite and... and um, you know, just being honest in your work, being respectful, um, and I think you do that, and, and that's why it was such a friendly club because there was no one else waiting to someone to order for someone to do something or leaving something for someone else. Everyone had the same mentality. Um, like I said, I was brought up on that um, before I even got into football, and, and even now, you know, I look at how we we deal with obviously kids at Millwall and. and and how we want things done at, at the club and in the academy. Um, and not just in the academy, at yeah. first team level, you know, the manager uh, has the same same philosophies and the same uh, values that we do. That, you know, you want good people around you. If you've got good people, honest, honest people, then you're going to have half a chance. Um, if you don't have that, we, we don't entertain them. And you give them, a, you give them an opportunity to, to maybe turn things around but uh, you soon find out the ones that you can trust and you can rely on, and, and that's who you want to work with. Yeah. It was no different then. So then, so then uh, moving after your playing career ends, tell us about your first foray into coaching or management. Yeah, I remember doing the, you know, the old FA prelim, which you know everyone's sort of done back in the day. Um, I started doing my B license when I was, I was actually just finishing up at Millwall. I was, I was still at Millwall playing. I've uh, done it with the players. Um, and then took that on and I'd left Millwall, I finished up at Gillingham as a player and worked under Tony Pulis, which was really interesting. I only worked with him for the last two months of the season. I went on deadline day, um, but really interesting. Very different to what I was used to. He was very methodical. There was no farther sides, there was no small-sided games. It was, if it didn't relate to the game, 
uh, they wouldn't be doing it. Uh, and it was, and in a good way because obviously we were, we were quite successful. Um, and you know, looking back, even now, you know, I, I still look back and, and go, well, you know, a lot of people put sessions on for sessions' sake, especially coaches. They want to make the session look actually okay. Pick that up and put that into a game scenario. Where does that marry up? Where he was really clear on what he wanted and what he wanted from every player when the ball was in certain areas of the pitch. You know, didn't leave any any grey areas, so you knew exactly what you were doing. Uh, you know, I think that's, that's a massive skill to have. So I left I left Gillingham. We finished the season, and then in the summer I was out of a club. Uh, went on trial to a few clubs, uh, as a lot of players did, and then um, Peter Nicholas rang me up from. He just took over the job at Barry Town in, in Wales in the Welsh Premier. Um, said he was looking for an assistant. Um, so he, he, I've, no, I've known Nico anyway when he was at Crystal Palace, the youth, uh, youth team coach. And I said, yeah, I'll come down and you know have a have a look around, speak. Uh, and I, I, wanted, I always wanted to go into coaching. It was when where I would have an opportunity. Um, so went down and met him. Went around the ground. They were full time. Uh, they obviously they just finished second in the league, so we were going into the UEFA Cup. So the first games were against Boa Vista in the, in, um, in the UEFA Cup. So um, it was all quite exciting. Uh, so I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'll do it. I want to. I want to carry on my coaching. I'd, I'd now done my V license. Actually, got assessed by Jeff Pike down in Wales as I, just as I started there. Um, so that got done. And, and really had three good years at, at Barry and that was my first Peter Nicholas was brilliant with me he let me take control of all the training he'd just come in and, and, and sort of have a look at on match days he took over which he was good at and, um, so think about that then you've come out of uh, playing experience like you said you've had Billy Bonds and then you've had uh, Tony Pulis two giants of the game two diff- very different approaches of doing things uh, how did you do things? Where, where did you sit on that scale? I mean, did, obviously, did you just take bit. I mean, obviously, as I know as a coach, you deal bits from everyone else and do your own thing. But yeah, you have to have your own personality yeah. on things, and I think it's brilliant. You know, I worked under um, Dave Bassett as well at Palace, yeah. um, Brian Horton at, at Huddersfield, where I'm alone now. So you look back, and there's good and bad in it, in it every every case. And you'd always look and think, and at the time, you're thinking, oh, I really like that. Five years down the line, you think, well, actually, that wasn't too great. Uh, but that only comes with experience. Um, I'm, I remember speaking with Alvin, Alvin Miner, when I, I was out on loan and come back. And anyway, he had um, he went into South End, I believe, and, and didn't he didn't go too well, and he came away. Um, and he just said one of the biggest regret, regret or opportunities he never had was actually to go out and experience other things, because yeah. all he ever knew was West Ham. Yeah. So he took everything from West Ham to South End. And, and yeah, so he yeah. was a, the gulf was too big and it didn't relate uh, to, to a lot of things and, it, and that was a difficult part. I always remember speaking to Alvin about it where I'd gone out on loan as a player, I'd experienced these different things and playing under different managers and it, it was really good. Obviously, I didn't know at the time, but then going into my first role at Barry Town, suddenly all these things start popping up and going, God, yeah, I remember that session he'd done. I'll, I'll implement it here. Made loads of mistakes, but there was no one over me 
saw a guy, in, or I'm not sure if he knows what he's doing. But it was a brilliant learning, getting getting your hands dirty, out on the grass every day with a group of players. That you, you know, it was, it was tough because you went to, you expected to win the league. We were the only full-time club in, in the league of Wales up until uh, TNS then followed on, followed suit, sort of a year, two years later. Um, but because you expected to win, it didn't make any difference. You know, you still went to places that were poor pitches, poor facilities, horrible weather. And the games never got called off. You just get on and play. And imagine the, the weather in Wales isn't great in the, in the winter. So there was a lot of a lot of challenges to be done. But you knew on the coaching, managing side, and, and playing side, the rewards were massive because you were going into the Champions League. So you had to weigh up your whole season's worth knowing that the, you know that little nugget at the end of the season uh, quite interested then you've gone into this role you're sort of your head coach you like you know assistant so you're almost um, you know you're on the job training there aren't you really to a certain fact so you know, I've done it three years I'm interested like you know what, what did you do in terms of you know for like session ideas and session design you know how do you take inspiration from, well, from that changed. sort of thing when I first went in I was playing manager I was player coach um, so I was still playing every week yeah. I loved it. I can't remember how old I was then, probably 34, 33, 34. So I was still playing. We had some good players around us, uh, ex-players ex that were, that were um, been in the league, the ones that have been hardened to, league of, you know, to the League of Wales, to the Welsh Premier League. So I um, had that good group. And then Peter Nicholas left for Swansea with Colin Addison um, when Swansea were, were rock bottom, basically, in the league. They went in and I took over for a little while for a couple of games and then I got offered the job. So I was now playing manager and it was all on me. And I brought in a local, uh, one of our ex one of our players who's come to the end of his career to take over my sort of role as that coach. But obviously I was still hands on because that's what I was probably my best at. And, uh, I still had the energy to do that and it wasn't a massive club so there was lots of off the field stuff to deal with so I had a chief exec that I dealt with um, and that was basically it so I could get on and cross on the football but like you say on the, on the, on the session wise um, I started to, to get more interested in the sort of the match preparation uh, I thought I started to probably in that middle of back end of that second season. I was handing, I was giving more, delegating more stuff to the assistant to do the daily sessions. Where and then actually I was concentrating on the, on the morning on the football on, on the match day. So on a Friday I'd start prepping and you know, doing things again. Looking back on how Tony Pulis do things, you know, were. Do what does every player know his responsibilities, his roles in that setup? Because no matter how well you play in all my career and, and obviously having experience of managing, when you when you win or lose as a player, yes, yeah, great. Soon forgotten because you're back out again. You're out with your mates in the, in the night time. You're going home with your family. Yeah, it's nice, but then you go on again Monday. When you're when you're a manager, the highs of, uh, when you win, it feels so much better than when you won as a player. But when you lost, it was ten times worse as a as a manager to when you lost. So everything came back onto you, and then the self doubt coming in because you're questioning: Did I prep right? Uh, was the selection right? And I think that's when I then come away from actually playing. 
and I wanted to concentrate more on, on actually the management style of it. I was in the process of actually now doing my A licence, so I was in with the Welsh FA doing my A licence. That was a great eye as well. Again, it was it was good because uh, the A licence, a lot of it is out on the grass, and a lot of it is you know obviously um, improving you as a coach, improving you in the 11 v 11 stuff. So for me in my role, brilliant. Because I was picking up all new ideas, you know, nicking things off other people, uh, collaborating with other managers, coaches, players. So it was, it was, a, it was a really good time for my education. Um, and I think when I look back, was I prepping? You know, was I, were we doing things right? We're probably governed by you know, we were successful in what we've done. We won the double three years running. Uh, we had won our first games in the Champions League. And it was a whole experience that I look back on now, and obviously that's helped me massively in, in the way I've progressed on as a, as a coach. But again, I always go back to it, it'll be, you still have them values, you still have, I still wanted good people around me. You know, I didn't care that we were winning all the time. Um, and everyone talks about you know, that team ethic and that's what gives you the wins and when teams are losing, oh, it's poor, the dressing room's gone or you know, it's fractured. When actually if you just got good people around you, whether you're winning or losing, it'll always be okay. It's quite a big thing about I mean people talk about football being nepotistic in an industry, but I mean from what you say there and as I've had experience as well, it's like you say you want the pressure's so high, you want good people around you can trust, I suppose. I suppose that's the nature of the business, isn't it? I suppose mean, that's why there's not so much, right, am I going to take a risk on this guy? I don't know who he is, and I know Conti, but I know this guy, I can trust him, I know what he does, I know what he's going to bring to the table. Do you think that's why there's maybe football's a bit into there? And, and we see, like, you know, uh, you know the merry-go-round, if you like, a coach and backroom staff constantly changing, right, I bring my own staff in because I can trust them. What's your thoughts it's, on that? It's absolutely. So I think what you, when you're looking at have how... You know, clubs have evolved. You know, academies, first team. I mean, they've just grown uh, to a degree now where how you manage that is a, is a real challenge. Um, and, it, and it's true. I think you look at sort of how do how do you get people if you've got so many people? How are you going to get them to, to buy into your way of, of doing things? And if they've been brought up a different way and this is what they believe in and it's tough because you want them all on one side you all need to be going in the same direction um, like I say when I was first doing that managing coaching the staffing was small and I had a really good uh, introduced um, Ryland Morgans who, who came from sort of the Cardiff area his first introduction into sort of the, uh, the fitness side of, his, of the game uh, and our sports science uh, which back then didn't really exist. It existed, but not to anywhere near what it is now. Uh, and he came with us at Barry Town, and then he's obviously progressed into you know, to, to big clubs and works with some of the biggest clubs in Europe. And obviously he's been involved with the Welsh national side. So he's and and, uh, and obviously the English FA as well. So you know, you look back and go, well, he was he was implementing stuff then. Um, and because I trusted him, because I, I've gotten well with him, we trust him that he knows what he's doing. And he was making mistakes, and he was doing things that wasn't quite right. But, you know, I handed, basically, I remember one pre-season, I just literally handed over the whole pre-season to him. You know, I went into devices, and I went into 
and it was fantastic because you saw him grow as a person and grow as a you know giving him having someone to go I trust you to go and do it yeah. you know don't worry about anything I, I believe in you and I think that well, that's what I had and I, I'm very mindful that that's what I want to give to, to coaches and for them to give on to players you know? so I suppose as your role then as when you became the manager like you said you finally delegated that first team coaching role I mean, how, how difficult was that? And then as you progressed down the line, was there ever times you thought, right, I need to maybe take more control of this and yeah, step in? Yeah, times. But because I was still fit and still, you know, I'd still play, I'd still, I wouldn't be sat in the office and they'd be off somewhere. I'd go, I'd still be out there and I'd, I'd, take, a, I'd take a group, yeah. you know, we'd start doing unit work and uh, it was, you know, we had a group of 14, 15 full-time players, you know, so it was a nice, nice group. We'd have some young players, we'd have some trialists in. And it was always, you know, it was, it was, you know, planning the session. We'd be in early in the morning, go down what we want from the session, how it would work, how it would look. Brilliant. And it was just a natural progression for me. It was great because I could relate to the player, the, the sort of the ex-player that was coming in as my assistant because that was his real cutting his teeth in in that environment as a coach. Um, and I say he was successful. So. At that time, it was brilliant. I was thinking, you know what, it's quite easy this managing life because you're winning trophies, you're doing this, you know, you're dealing with the press, you know, the little press that you had, you had it, um, and everything was great. And it's funny because at that time, I was thinking, you know what, I want to go into that, I need to go and get an opportunity. And jobs were coming up, I'd apply, because unfortunately at Barry Town, the club went into um, administration, so everything went, and we as a family had two, two young children, married, then we moved back to London, um, and try and get into the clubs, and see what else, but because my, I was now a manager in my head, I was looking at manager's roles, the academies were about, but nothing, you know, not to the, the degree they are now. So there wasn't really, there wasn't the jobs that there are jobs now in academy. So we made a, a decision to go over to Spain and to move to Spain. Um, I contacted a club over there, said I was interested in, you know, I could still play, but my route is coaching. So I said, well, look, why don't you come over? I met up with them, uh, done pre-season for a week, and then got offered a contract now. As, as player, but as a player coach. So I was the only Englishman there, and we literally, all within probably six weeks, two months, we had upped, rented our house out, gone over there, put the kids in schools, rented a house, and I was working in Spain. Uh, and never really looked back, to be honest, from that. I had six years uh, of probably the best time away from football. Um, but also really enjoyable time in football. I was working six years in as a, I was a player, player coach. I was um, the head coach of the reserve side for a year. I then was director of football for another club uh, and then took over as manager there. What, what was the club? So the club? I was at FC Torre Vieja. And uh, well, uh, how is this manager? Yeah, I had, see, yeah, <laughs> I, I end up um, I end up speaking, well, I happened to speak Spanish. I sat in a dressing room for four or five months, um, sitting in a dressing room, manager up the front, massive whiteboard, tactics, talking everything, going out and training, 
half time or halfway through the training, going back in the dressing room, going back through everything again, going back out again, not understanding the word. But like football, a lot of it was repetition, same words kept coming up. Uh, and we made a decision, we, we wanted the kids to obviously go into a Spanish school, so that happened. And me and my wife took up Spanish lessons two hours a day, four days a week. Um, I was really lucky because we trained of an evening because of the weather. Um, and we were, we were semi-pro, so I would have my lessons in the morning then have my free time in the afternoon and I'd go, go into training in the afternoon and the evening and obviously it was just all Spanish. So, and they were brilliant because obviously I'd start saying, I had a little bit more confidence of saying some words and getting things right. And, and they'd be brilliant because that's all they wanted. They, what they didn't want and what they don't want over there is people just not bothering. Yeah. As long as you try and you, you've, you have a real um, desire to learn the language, they'll help you all the way. So what's the main so, differences then going to Spain in terms of the culture there? I mean, the football culture, what's the difference? The, the way they play and trained and what are the very main differences? Tact- very tactical over there. Right. Um, you know, we were playing systems 4-1-4-1, 4-2-3-1, that we weren't doing over here. It wasn't, it was, they were, you know, playing three at the back or playing 4-4-2, maybe with a diamond. Uh, but over there, there was, there was real, it was really clear. You know, this is this is the system, and this is your role. And you know, I played in that sort of holding role in front of the back four. Um, and there was a lot of um, where again going back to people challenging you. You know, coaches and players now. Where when I played, it was like this: is what we're doing. You go out, you do it. You come back, shower, you go home. Um, over there it was quite similar to that where you had again it was all very well planned a lot of staff there even though, even at semi-pro it was, it was a lot of staff um, and you had see different people who never they never crossed into different roles so um, you know your manager would be your man if you were had to talk something to do with you know, your set pieces or where you are on, a, on certain plays, you went over to the first the actual coach. Um, and it was all very, if it was to do with your physical side, obviously you went to the science department. And they never really crossed, not in front of it anyway. Obviously they would be together as staff. Um, it was very, some of it was in isolation. Um, but actually all it done was, was another experience to sort of take away to, to think well you know this is what they're doing over here and at the time obviously Spain was really successful you know when we were there they, the Euros the World Cup they were, they were everyone was talking about Spain Spanish football um, and it's weird because they've done a lot of technical stuff they do they've done straight away everything opposed um, first day pre-season was 11 v 11 first day Nothing else. Eleven v eleven, uh, and then, and uh, you know, I'm I'm looking back. I wouldn't be doing. I wouldn't do this. You know, I, w- I probably wouldn't do this. You know, there's a gradual way of easing into a pre-season. But you know, I got on really well with the manager when I moved up to CD Havi. Really intelligent man who worked in the Cantera, um, Valencia for many years. Uh, he was still quite young. I came away. Uh, he's now an agent in Spain. Uh, I still speak to him. He's a match and he was really, he was probably the one who was 
who I took a lot from in regards to Spanish culture and philosophy of them because they were, he would challenge me uh, and in a way that helped me because then I started bouncing things back to him. I spoke perfect English uh, but there'd be times where you know, we'd go to places, we went to games, go and watch players. It was, it was a real insight into him because he was quite well known uh, in that area, um, you know, that East Coast. Uh, it was a real... It was lovely seeing him, how he worked, and how he sort of integrated with, with the other people. We went to went to Villarreal, Valencia um, for the day, going to experience how they do, how they how they done things. Villarreal was, was exceptional, uh, but again, found out very friendly, very welcoming. It wasn't a close shot. You want to come and watch first thing? You come and train. You come. You want to watch the kids tonight? Come and come tonight. Come in the dressing room. Come. It was all very much like that. And there wasn't a, there was nothing that they didn't want you to, to know. There was no hidden agendas. This is what we do here. Um, and obviously Villarreal at that time, I think they were saying sort of 15 years earlier, they were just a village team. They were nothing. Uh, they're still in the village. It's just grown. You know, they have now, you know, um, hospita not hospitality, but where the kids sleep every day and they come in, they train, they eat, you know, the size of this room was where they ate, everything overlooked the training ground, they had the, the, the big pitch with a stand around it, you know, that's where the kids were, with 3Gs everywhere, and this was just a small club, you know, this was literally a village team with nothing 15 years previous, so you could see the way it was going there, I mean, when I first went there, we were playing on dust pitches, and, you know, you see it on YouTube, and they were just rock hard dust pitches, uh, nothing else. And I, I played on them, and when I was coaching there, you know, you played on all the B teams played on that. Just as over the years they started introducing the 3Gs and 4Gs, which was which obviously transformed everything. Um, but it was a uh, looking back onto the obviously the the, the real detail in the, in the football, which was um, again. An insight for me was how much information they give over to players and the level of the detail was really good. Um, and that was it, that was a semi-pride. Even though we had some good players and we got promoted that year, um, and it was a real insight into how, how, they, how they do things and how they work. And you can see why they, weather helps massively. There's no getting away from it. Uh, the culture, the way they, you know, the way they, they the way they, uh, way they eat, the nutrition, the, everything like that, the, the whole lifestyle is health. You're out in the fresh air, you're out in the sun, you're eating fresh vegetables, fresh fish, fresh meat, um, where, you know, it's difficult over here. You, know, you have probably six months of the year, longer, where you're wrapped up in a big coat, all you want to do is, you know, eat something warm, don't matter what it is, where over there there was, there was, there was a more... I suppose rounded approach to the whole, you know, the development of, of, of the players, which at the end of the day is what everyone wants. Is you know you want to make players better, uh, and they had a certain way of doing it, which was obviously very successful. So then talk about and then your your move into youth football, into academy football. How's that coming about? What's your first role? Uh, well, it happened in Spain because the first when I first went up to um, City Javier, the Cantera was like the youth system, the youth, uh, the academy. Um, 
was really fragmented um, and it wasn't weird, there was no structure in it at all. So the president asked me, can you oversee, can you basically just put a program in place, a structure in place, which was a big, big task. So thinking director of football, lovely, I could sit up and stand, watch the manager and relate. And, um, because I got on well with the president, who's an English, who's now the chief executive of Portsmouth, or Mark Catton, so he's an English president, brought me up and um, loved my t the whole role of it. And then I thought, you know what, this is actually something to get really get in into. So I had to deal with, a, which I struggled, I did struggle because um, it was me coming in as an English person, coming in to tell basically some really senior, um, experienced Spanish people how to run their club uh, at youth level, which you know, didn't, didn't go down too well. But again, I think that helped me because I couldn't fight them because uh, I didn't have the language to fight them. So I had to get into them and, and try and sort of get that trust. And I think in the way I worked and the way I spoke to them and sort of went out my way to try and help uh, give them, because you know, I'm not saying what I was doing was right, but um, it was all quite loose. So putting that together with a lot of the good things that they were already doing, wasn't hard, but the actual um, sort of setting up that infrastructure was hard. So we've had this conversation before with previous guests when they other academy managers who've gone into a club and they've tried to change the culture, but if you go into a club and you're from a, in a different culture, that must be even harder, right? Yeah, yeah, very much so. But again, we had um, we had some really good people at, um, in the Cantera, like really good coaches and uh, from varying, like over here, you know, you've got some really experienced ones that you know, lived in the area, played for the club, done it, had everything really well respected. And you had the young coaches that either got injured or hadn't quite made it in football, but they saw their route, you know, as a club, they wanted to do well for their local club. And, and so we had that, and that was fantastic, because I, again, I go back to it, but I could relate to that. And, Again, I'm a people's person. I like to, and, and over there, they're they're very much like that. You know, they love to have. That. You know, you'll sit, you'll we'll sit like this over over something away. You sit for four hours. You know, their, their lunches, their dinners take that amount of time. Not because they're drawing everything out and everything's late. No, that's there's no rush. There's no rush to do anything. You know, really have a so it was easy to get to know them and then to hopefully get to know me better in the way I tried to work. Um, so, yeah, listen, I wasn't ever going to go in there and change the culture because it, it was working. It was just putting a little bit more structure in it. And, and again, that what, what I found over there, both playing and then coaching and managing that over there, they're great when things are going well, but when things aren't going well, very temperamental and sort of not give up but sort of they don't have that mentality of, of over here where if you're two goals down you know we can still get back into this we, we've still got that we keep going it was well we've lost this game we'll go on to the next one um, and trying to change that or trying to get used to that mentality was hard for me um, but I think that there was I think again if your process is right so it's, it's not the winning but if you're, if you're doing things right during the week and during the months and during the year, then you're going to win more games. But, you know, it's that process of 
keep doing the keep doing the same things. Don't change anything. Just keep doing the same things. Don't don't give up. Don't don't you know start sulking and having. I mean, you get sendings off. You get everyone because and you'd have the, the whole bench flying up in the air. Every decision would be a wrong decision. Arguing with the other bench, and if that was and I couldn't get my head around that because I'm you know, I'm very much one of these that I like watching the game. I'm not going to be really animated on the side of the pitch. Um, so I found it really difficult uh, and I didn't like that because when I was manager and I still had staff doing that, it obviously reflects on me. So if I'm not comfortable doing it myself, I didn't want them to, but that's how they are as a, as a, as a mate, you know, they're, they're, that's in them. They're very, very animated as we obviously we see now in, you know, in the Premier League. You know, the, them coaches uh, are, are very, you know, they kick every ball, they head every ball, they, not so much arguing with referees, some of them do, but they're, you know, they're, they're very involved in the game. Yeah. Uh, where I try and be a little bit more attractive from the game yeah, yeah. and try and see things a little bit more clearer. But I say that that was the biggest change, but we got through that and had a real, uh, uh, you know, I felt that when I came away, um, after the, that period, the club was in a lot healthier state. Um, I felt that we had a real, the first thing, there was a real clarity in, our, in, our, in what we were all trying to do through the, through the age groups. And um, it was really, it was just a really interesting insight into, into my first real taste of, of youth football. So then, so let's move on then, because I know we're a bit pressed for time then. So yeah. talk about your time to, uh, at Dagenham and Redbridge and how that come about and yeah. then what was that? Well, yeah, well I came back and I ended up at Barnet with, with Mark Robson. So when, when Mark Robson took the, the Barnet job and uh, went in there as an assistant, uh, but I was in charge of the 23s or at the time the 21s. But there wasn't a dedicated 21s group. There was only myself, again, going back to start, there was, there was Mark Robson, myself, and Stuart Owls, the, the um, physio. That was our staff. And we had the first team, the 21s, to deal with. Um, so it, it wasn't set up properly, but obviously I had to deal with sort of them uh, first year pros that were coming up, they were coming into my remit. So I'd be taking them and, and obviously going on to, but my biggest job was obviously with the first team. So it was all a little bit loose. Ended up leaving Barnet um, after the season. Uh, and, and then I ended up at, at Dagenham and Redbridge's. Uh, I first went there as uh, under 16's coach. Uh, Chris Perry left to go to Millwall. And uh, they, they rang me and said, look, I know a few of the staff over there, Wayne Burnett and Warren Hackett, and Jim Sanard. Said, look, Chris has left. Do you want to come in? Uh, it's only part time. You know, I was only you know, living, living in Hornchurch. So I said, yeah, brilliant. Um, went in, done some work. You know, just working part time uh, in the evenings. I'd go in during the day with the 18s every now and then with Micah Hyde. Um, and then I finished the season there because that was January time. Then come the end of the season. Warren Ackett was the academy manager, but he basically had stepped away because he was the first team assistant manager with Wayne Burnett. So that role came up, um, applied for it, sat with them, and unfortunately got the job. So I was an academy manager for two, three years. Uh, and that was brilliant because I felt I'd done a lot of coaching. I'd, uh, probably still, you know, at the time, should have done more there, could have done more there, but we only had the under 18s. It wasn't a 21s group, it was just the first team and they had uh, Wayne Warren, Darren Curry, um, sports scientists, you know, the physios. 
so they took charge of the first team so it was just the A teams group and then how long how many A's was down there did well it yeah so that was on a daily basis but then obviously after and then in the evenings you had the you had the, well, you had the six teams coming in on day release uh, obviously once a week but then you, you, we literally went all the way down to under nines so every uh, every evening that there was training I'd go over I'd go over to the school um, because we obviously didn't have our own facilities there um, and uh, which was only based in uh, Collier Road uh, we'd go there I'd go there every evening watch the kids just oversee oversee things coach if I had to you know if a coach didn't turn up we couldn't turn up on time but for what, where the club was the academy what they'd done there all I was doing was carrying on the good work that had been done because the, the academy the work that they got to into that was fantastic and I, all I'd done was carry on tidy things up a little bit and over, oversee it a bit um, but obviously as an academy manager then I then got a lot more to deal with people above so the chief exec Steve Thompson had dealings with the first team management staff you know uh, on the technical board meetings so that was my now introduction into how sort of the, the structure was now in, 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 uh, in league clubs is it, is it true to say that you know obviously we mentioned Tony Carr earlier when we were speaking of that Tony yeah. but, uh, the role of academy managers trains drastically right especially now with the implementation you know the E2B is much more of an administrative role you know you organise that is that, is that what you're yeah, saying yeah massively massively I think it's gone away from well I don't you know they, it's funny because I've, I've I applied for the, uh, the first lot of academy managers you know, role, and, uh, and they said, oh, we're not doing it anymore. We've, we've basically stopped it. So they went, but we're going to bring it out probably in the next year or so. Well, that was eight, nine years ago. You know, because that role has just evolved and developed so much, there's, there's no point putting on a course because within that course you'd finish it and then there'd be a lot more to deal with I mean that role has, has changed I mean it was a real good insight um, into how things work but like, like you say with Tony you know where you're where you out in the grass a lot and where you, you had that nice time you are in the office hell of a lot you, you're having a lot of meetings you're dealing with a lot of stuff which is not directly involved with football um, so it's changed my okay so I know Preston I'm going to move yeah, quickly sorry. along no no yeah, it's, it's me because I'm too interested now getting sacked up it's good it's great but let's move on to the Millwall obviously yeah. I mean uh, Dagenbridge we closed down they closed the academy it's a very sad story obviously but maybe as we saw at Brentford a sign of things to come yeah. but I mean so you moved to you're well, Millwall so interesting you're, you're now head of coaching at Millwall so tell us a bit about that then in terms of because that's a new role as well we spoke to some other people in the past but tell us about that then in, in terms of what's, how does that work day to day and what's that like in comparison to the academy manager's role or what you did previously it's a it's a really demanding role it's a but it's a fantastic job um, I'll say it to everyone anyone that asks you know how you know, it work there um, basically you're the whole point is that you're making the role is to make the players better to make the players better you're making the coaches better and you know in a nutshell that's what that's what my role is now um, anything to do with football from basically under 20 the remit is under 23s it's a little bit different at, at other clubs different uh, but the academy the under 23 still comes under the academy umbrella even though it's very a lot closer to first team than it is to the under 18s um, so that's been a challenge for us this season, you know, is to get that closeness back again. 
so that's, that's an ongoing process. But basically, on a, uh, every day you're, you're with the under-18s every day, uh, and obviously their staff. So I deal a lot with the staff. Um, don't interfere with, with uh, coaching, yeah, as in their sessions, what they're doing, how they're doing it, because that's what, you know, they wouldn't be in their roles if they weren't competent at what they're doing. Yeah, I'm there for advice, and uh, I'd oversee some sessions. I obviously do observations on the coaches, so they'll be filmed, they'll be mic'd up, we'd have feedback with them, we'd then sit down and discuss the session in more detail and what could have been improved and what went really well, how would they change things. General stuff, but things that... Are so you think that, you just try to say that you basically run day-to-day, you run the, you run the academy? You, you, you do, as a, you run the football side yeah. of it, you do, because yeah. the academy managers, or the academy, in our case, the academy directors, has you know, got loads of, lots of other things. And that's one of the things that, probably he because he's an ex-player, Scott Fitzgerald, but, you know, he's find it hard to get into that because it's he's getting further away from the football and more involved in the you know in obviously the, the politics of the club yeah. Um, so yeah on a day-to-day basis the football is, is you know I oversee that um, and then again day release um, the evening sessions so we train every single evening uh, Monday to Friday and then we have sessions Saturday mornings um, and so through the week it's managing my time. I've got, you know, the club's really good with that. I think when you go in there, you can easily get caught up in literally working seven days a week. And that's quite easy. Uh, and going in, you know, we'd have eight o'clock meetings, so I'd have to leave home at half six to miss the traffic. and wouldn't be leaving the training ground until half past seven at night. And then going again the next day, and then the next day. And before you know it, the week's gone. And I think that's how it was when I first went there because I felt I had to go in, I had yeah. to keep going in, I had to be seen to be going in, but then it was made clear quite quickly, you know, that, that isn't what we want. We want you to, when you're in, to be really on it. If you feel you need a day off or work from home, take the day off. Because that's quite interesting, isn't it? It's quite unique, uh, the culture of academy football, whereas, you know, across the board, any club, the culture is like that, you know. Like I said, I've had conversations with the academy managers before. Yeah. Like they say, you have to go in because you think you know, it's not going to have run or something. So, but the culture is six or seven days a week, twelve-hour days, you know. So, I mean, how, how do you combat that? I suppose always questions well, like how to you keep your coaches fresh and the staff fresh, being in that, that sort of environment. And I suppose you have to be brave to say, right, work from home or take a day off, and you yeah, know, definitely and the, the academy is not going to collapse, right? Absolutely. You know, we have our, you know, we've got <coughs> what twenty-two. Um, coaching staff so you know I'm responsible for all of them so uh, when, when you end up you know with our eight full-time members of staff so with them I have to manage their time but again in, when I have meetings with them and you know we have our we have our monthly monthly meetings we have our six weekly meetings with you know the multidisciplinary ones where you know every department has an input in players and, and how with how the curriculum is running um, but obviously, this time of the season now, you know, I've, we've learned we're in retain and release of players, which we're, only, we're literally banging the middle of. Um, we're now, you know, we've organised our pre-season over the last month for next season. Um, we're the 18s going away on an Erasmus trip to Madrid, so we've had to have all that organisation with the, with the secretary. Um, pre-season for the 16s because the 18s are away. 
um, and then the schoolboys programme. So everything to do with the football, sort of everyone goes, Kenny, what are we doing? You know, what are we doing here? Uh, and I get lent on from above to go, you know, have we have we got this in place? We, yeah, you know, no, I'm on that now. But I wouldn't change it for the world. I think every club's different, and I can only speak to where I am at the moment. But the club, the, I love the honesty of the club. Uh, the values are exactly what my values are, um, and it's a pleasure to go in. I, I now got the trust, and I, hopefully the coaches have the trust in me that. They need to take time off. They do. There's no issues. Just like I am above me. Um, and in there, I think once you've got that and you've got that honesty and working with a group of people, it's not hard. It's a, and it's a, like I say, I really enjoy it because I've, there's, there's good people around me and, and some good coaches, good people, all want to work, do their best for themselves, but also for the club. Um, and and at the bottom line is that they want to do well for players. They want to they want to develop players. So, so tell us a little bit about then about the academy. What's the philosophy of the academy in terms of playing style and that sort? Of, well, with with you know, yes, we, we want to play out. We, we want to play through the thirds. We want, you know, we have that um, mentality of if we can play out, we will. Um, but we're not naive enough to think, well, if you're going to get caught, going to keep getting caught, and it's not on to play out, we still play out. You know, like I say, that reality of well, yeah, you know, I do feel that wouldn't happen. If they're high pressing, if a team high presses against you, which a lot of teams you know, do now, you, you miss them out, and you, you, you sort of go into this the second line or you go into the, into the third line, go straight into the front, go wide. Um, you have to be adaptable and I think that's one of the big things with us is, is trying to give the education to the players of, you know, of identifying when the right time is to play and when the right time is to actually, if they're pressing high, you know, there's grass, lots of grass in beyond, going beyond, turn their back for them out. You know, everything hasn't got beat to feet. Um, but, Saying that, we want players that can express themselves. We want good decision makers in, 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 throughout the teams. So we put a lot of sessions on that, that promote that, that, that give them where they have to make decisions. And, and I think we've created an, an environment there that they are they're allowed to make mistakes. They're going to make plenty of mistakes. Um, but what we won't do is just let them make mistakes and make mistakes and make mistakes, the same mistakes over and over again. And, and think that's part of their learning. You know, they have to they have to realise that at some point the ownership goes back goes to the player, which is I think is a big thing over the last probably eighteen months, two years, is that player ownership. Just like I am when I oversee the coaches, the coaches have to take responsibility for their pathway and, and the way they want to go. Players have to do that. So they can't just sit there and be told everything. Like I was in Spain, and sitting in that dressing room, and this is how we do it, and this is go out and do it. You know, they need to be able to, to go. Well, actually, right. If I'm going to do something, I need to take this on board, but I need to be able to express myself in that and take it on my way. And I think we've got that environment. I think it's a healthy environment. Um, and like I say, I think that the, we work off the values. We work off everything that um, we want. And Mill will deserve it's, it's the ethos of the honesty, the hard work, you know, the, the trust, um, the, the unity. So not just, you know, I care about you. You know, I want, even though we're, we're not developing teams, we're obviously developing individuals. Um, 
we want it so that they want to be coming in, but they want they don't want to let anyone else down. Um, they want to be in that so that I want to know I can trust my mate next to me. And we have that, and I think we promote that from top to bottom. It's really clear, there's a real clarity in, in Millwall. If you watch any of our teams, there's clarity in how we play. And I think that's a, that's a big plus on what we do. Whether you believe in what we do or what we don't do as a club, and whether I believe sometimes there's things that I think, well, maybe I wouldn't be like that. But you know what? In the time I've been there, I've actually come around to it thinking, well, no, you know, we're, we're, you know how are we developing players? Are we developing players to so technically they're all nice? They don't mind losing because it's okay. I can develop, and you know, as long as I play nice, it's fine. Or when do you when do you actually start going? Well, actually, winning's going to be the only thing that's important when it matters. Yeah. How do you bridge that? And we introduce it early. We don't, you know, winning isn't everything, but the, the will to win is. So you've still got to have that competitiveness in you. You know, and I, I'm a big believer in that. So tell us a little bit about then take that away. The, the young players' foundation phase. What's that? How's your approach those young players? Again, it's, it's structured, but there's a lot of freedom in there. You know, we, we want um, players to make their own decisions on things, and, and we do that. We have a really good um, foundation face police coach, uh, Paul Palmer, who's been in been in for years. Uh, knows the role really well. Deals with deals with that age group and, and them ages. Knows how to deal with them. You know, he's a family man. Got, got you know young children of his own. He's got he's got. Very successful older boy. Yeah, exactly. So he knows what he, he knows what he looks like at the top end. Yeah. And knows how to get there. And he knows how to treat the, the young players. Um, I think we, you know, under nine they're coming in. They're learning. They're learning all about the game. They're just learning about football. Loads of, loads of, you know, everything with the ball. Everything's. But again, it's structured. It's, you know, you're not just running around headlessly. You know, just having that little bit of awareness about. And then going through the tens and elevens. The elevens is a, is a good one because they realise that going up into under twelves, you're going into. 99s in 11-11, their first introduction into it, and again, they're then going up, they know a lot more, they feel they've outgrown their foundation years and they're now, and hopefully, what they've learned in them years is obviously putting them in good stead for, for what we can build on them, so the tactical side of stuff won't really come into play till you know, under 12s and then obviously in 13s. But it's more a lot of technical stuff. Obviously, their mechanics, their body mechanics, which is really important at a young age. So their physical physicality. Uh, I'm not talking about size. It's you know their movements. They're, they're just the um, the fundamentals of running, jumping, turning, twisting. Um, you know. We spend a lot of time with him on that. Um, so I'm interested as well, so to interrupt there, mate. Just, um, no. So, as um, head of coaching, what do you look for? For instance, well, how do you firstly recruit coaches and what do you look for in coaches? You know, this is obviously a lot of coaches listed to this podcast, they'd be interested. Yeah, no. Um, again, I think that coaches were. How, how do you go year, about recruiting? Well, well this year we haven't, we didn't lose any coaches from last okay. season, which is really unusual because, you know, especially. You'd, you'd expect, which we probably will do this year. Don't know yet because we've got appraisals coming up within the next couple of weeks. But 
Um, normally the part-timers, their, their lifestyle changes. The job becomes more demanding away from football. They can't do the hours. You know, they have a, they have a baby. Uh, you know, they've got a job abroad or they've got to move somewhere else. They're moving the house, so they can't fulfil the role anymore. So we recruit, go through, you know, again, recruitment process, goes out, gets advertised, you get people in. Uh, when you're sifting through one, they have to be qualified. So I can't just bring my mate in, um, who I think is a really good coach, but he's not qualified. Rightly or wrongly, uh, again, I think qualifications are really good, but they shouldn't be the, you know, the, I think you've got to have cool conditions that you need. But I know some really, really good coaches that just haven't got the qualifications to, set, to do a certain role. And likewise, I've got overqualified coaches that aren't very good. Um, so just because you've got the qualifications doesn't mean that you are a good coach. Um, I think we, I look at, again, more into them as a person and their background and in whatever role they're going for. So if they're going for an under-18s role, they're in every day and they're, they're dealing with, you know, there's a lot of detail in what, what our scholars do. Uh, now, they have to be a team player. They have to be able to work with another, another coach and with other departments. Have they had history in doing it? Probably helps. PMA system, which is obviously a bane of everybody, but it's here and, and you have to, get, have to use it and you have to use it to your best, you know, what works for the club or if someone hasn't has never been on the PMA you know that that would wouldn't hinder him but you know you think well where has he been for not to access the PMA so there's a lot to contend with the the PMA the planning and preparation system which people might not know is the people where the Premier League do so right but it is like say the bane of many coaches lives but I mean (laughs) that really has changed the way Coaching's done now, isn't it? With because the administration part is so much more, you know, uh, such part, a big part of your life now than it was. I mean, even I remember as a part-time coach at Chelsea towards the end of the years, they more. It was, you know, it was so much more. You know, a good few extra hours a week of time it really changes the the nature of the job. I imagine, you know, full-time that's going to be even, even more. Really good point. Yeah, massively. It, it, it's not if you think you're going to come in as an 18s coach and be out on the grass every day, um, and that's it, and, and do a bit of prep for the for the game. You're a million miles from it. It really is. The amount of time our 18s coaches stay, sit on a laptop, far outweighs the time they start there on the grass. Um, again, rightly or wrongly, you know, are we making players better not being out on the grass with them and spending that much time uh, on a laptop? But it's here, and there's some good, really good things on it. You know, obviously the data collection and you know the skill is what. You know how you use that data, but everything's collated onto the, onto the system. How many minutes they play, you know where they play, you know their injuries, their, what type of training they're doing. Everything is in all in one place. Um, but obviously, it's only as good as the data you you put in. So if you start being lazy on it and you don't put the data in, then it, the data basically doesn't work you know, because it's it's wrong. Uh, so you have to be up to date with it. Um, and it's demanding, but it's part of the role. So if you don't want to do it, you're not going to be a you're not going to be a coach because that is part of the role, and it's written in their job descriptions. It's you know it's, this is clearly just as it is. You have to be there for games, and you have to be there for the training sessions. The PMA is 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 part of that role. So you know, it's, it's not something you can. Uh, I'll leave it this time, or I don't need to do it. 
unfortunately you do. So, and, and talking more about planning, what is it, how does it work in terms of your coaches delivering? So, for instance, your nines coach or your 12s coach, they yeah. got, do you have, do they have team planning? Do they work for a curriculum? Do they have set sessions they've got to do or they're free to yeah. do? How does that work? Well, at Millwall, we, have, we work off six-week blocks. Um, we juggled it around last year. We still work off six-week blocks. Uh, we've, we've, in our curriculum now, where rather than it being sort of six weeks of um, attacking play, then six weeks of defensive play, then six weeks of counter-attacking, six weeks of um, uh, playing through the ball manipulation, whatever. There's, we basically have, have, have sort of condensed it all uh, and made it simpler now. Um, it's easier for coaches to, to deal, but also, um, they basically we do, we do that in a six week block, so we cover, uh, so if we're covering uh, playing out from the back, we'll also be in the same block. We'll be covering pressing from the front, so that there's a, there, and then obviously you've got train, uh, transitions in there. So we have transitions in every single session. Um, so the idea is that you've you know you've got the opposite the, the opposite. So you've got the opposition. So you're not just working on defending the whole time, whole time. You'll be working on defending, but then you'll be working on and just like if you're working in the final third, um, you know, and obviously crossing, finishing, movements, uh, combinations. You'll be working defensively in the defensive third. So in that same block, that's what that's how you're going to be working. So they. You're not just focusing on one unit of players. Every player is going to get, you know, the same amount of uh, work and time and development in each block. So we do that over the six weeks. We have six-week reviews. Uh, so the player comes in. Uh, we have them all filmed, and we basically discuss about where they, you know, their objectives that they've had. Every player has objectives through the four corners. Um, uh, we discuss where they've, you know, what they've done, uh, where they're at, what's gone well, probably they need to work on, and and off the back of sort of the, the initial meetings, they've all got IDPs, which obviously they, they which is an end event, really a bit of homework, uh, where they go out, they have time pre-training, and obviously and also sorry, um, uh, a block of half an hour once a week where they can go out and actually work with the coaches on their individual uh, needs. So, and, and that could be the coaches, it could be a, a physical part, so they work with the sports science department um, on whether it's a, a speed thing, whether it's agility. If it's a technical thing, it'll be with the coaches. It might be a tactical thing where they go up and sort of, uh, work with the analysis department. So that you're having, a, again, that holistic approach to developing the player and, and making him aware of yes his strengths what is he really good at and what can how can we make that better where does he need to improve in relation to obviously with the older age group in relation to his role so it becomes a little bit more uh, position specific um, but you know in general I think you're, all you're doing you're looking at how can we improve the players and how much how can we as a group as a department help them how can we get the most out of all these hours that everybody's putting in to to, de to develop them because we want them whether they you know yes we want them to go through and get scholars yes we want we want them all to go and get pros want them in our first team 
if we sell, if we you know, make clubs come and buy our players or make offer for our players, brilliant. It means we're doing something right. If they go through, go into the first team, brilliant. At least from us, the big thing from us now is, you know, when we, when people, when players leave us, they're better people. And now they leave us, they go into, they can go to Cat 1s, Cat 2s, no one's saying they're not good players. They're just not right for whatever reason at this time for us. So, so thinking about that, then talk about the players there, what about coaches? What do you do firstly for your own professional development? How do you keep fresh? And then what do you do for your coaches? How do you keep those guys fresh and come up with new ideas and innovations? Yeah, well, we've got a CPD programme throughout the, throughout the season. Uh, they've all got, all got their own CCFs now, so coach competency frameworks. So everyone has got their own individual, just like the players do. Coaches have it, and again, it's, it's coach ownership. So you know, we're encouraging coaches now to you know we want them to go into other, other academies, go to Cat Ones, go to Cat Threes. How do they work? How do they do things? And then uh, when they come back, they give a, a presentation to the AMT about their findings, not all of them, but if they've gone on a, on a trip and they've gone away for a few days, well, come back and, and present. So they're, they're, they're delivering skills, they're presenting to their peers, so they might not be comfortable in that, but it's, it's that being comfortable, being uncomfortable. I suppose you've got to challenge your players, you've got to challenge your coaches. You've got to challenge them. You can't make them, oh, everything's okay, yeah. you know, what we do here is great. Open up. What, what we're doing away. Obviously, they have to they have to do their, their CPD hours for their qualifications anyway. So they'll go on conferences and the Premier League put on a, a lot of events where our sort of senior coaches go. Um, we've actually got one tomorrow up in Wolves, and West Brom. I then, on a personal one, I then go to Wales. Uh, I've just completed my pro license, so I, I now get accreditation on that over the weekend. Um, so for my CPD, it's been a real you know, it's taken, you know, I'm 50 now. So if I was my first going into that B licence when I was 20, what would I have been, 29, 30? You know, so you're talking, you know, 20 odd years, or sorry, 30 years of, oh, sorry, 20 years of, you know, of where I am today. And you're still learning, I'm still going on courses because um, there's loads of, football's evolved and if you don't evolve as a coach, you don't keep moving forward and taking things on, on. Um, but it is funny, it evolves and a lot of things now that are coming, they're coming back in from you know 20 years ago. Um, you know, no one's trying to invent the wheel, but again, I think the way academies have gone, I think coaches have to be become, they have to be adaptable, they have to be proactive, and they have to be. You're, you're going to get challenged, so you better be prepared. You better know that when you go and put something on, you're going to have some kid come up to you and go, why are we doing this? You know, and you've got to be able to give them the right answer. You can't say, because I'm telling you so. Yeah. It's not good enough anymore. Um, and what about yourself? What about aspirations you got still in the game? Any, uh... Yeah, I listen, I love my role. Um, obviously, I'm a Cat 2 Millwall. I love the, really love the club. Uh, I can't express that enough because it's... I really feel... You know, uh, I'm comfortable in, in this environment and what I'm doing. Obviously, I'm ambitious, just like I want my coaches to be ambitious, or our coaches at the club. I want them to go on and kick on, and, and no one's putting any you know glass ceilings on on anyone. No one's saying that just because you're 26, 27, you can't go and be a first team manager. 
um, have them aspirations, but okay, have them, but have that pathway. What, how are you going to get there? How are you going to do that? It's not just going to happen uh, out of luck. You've got to be prepared to, to put the hours in. So, you know, I try and put that on to coaches. So likewise, you know, what do I want to, where do I want to be? Yeah, I want to be at the most elite environment I can. So that would mean a Cat One club, or obviously an elite club abroad. Um, yes, I'm Spanish speaking, so it's helped me in that way on the football side. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I haven't got a, as they talk about now, a sort of a, a North Star where they go, like, this is where I want to be. Football changes very quickly. You know, one phone call, one and suddenly your direction goes completely in a different direction, in a different way. Um, uh, I love I love the role. Uh, if I could do my role at a bigger club, at Cat One Club, um, brilliant. If it moves into that academy uh, manager's role, wherever that will end up being, and what that looks like, I don't know. I don't know whether I would want to go that way. Um, do I want to be? Do I want to spend more time on the grass? and actually drop back into coaching, possibly again. I wouldn't say no, and I wouldn't say, you know, to have that to be, uh, having that as a, as a team, having, so you're responsible for, you know, whether that's a 23s role, whether that's an 18s role, um, at a, again, an elite club, yeah, I'd be open to that. I think you have to be. I think if you're just going, especially in my, where I am now, if a first team manager's role come up, I would seriously um, question whether I would do that. I think uh, I've tried and I've been at non-league level um, and I've seen what how it worked out at Barnet as well, at first team level and at Dagenham with, with Wayne and Warren. And, um, it's all results driven. And if you, I think I've now, my niche is that development and I've, I would find it very hard. I love, like I said to you before, right at the beginning, when you win and you're the manager, there's not a better feeling in the world. It really isn't. If you go and lose six games on the trot, you're basically going to be out of the job. I suppose as well, there must be an element of stability in terms of, you know, you've got family and... Yeah, yeah, I've got three children. First team, you know, football such a, such absolutely. a fragile... You know, industry, right? Yeah, you know, in the 23s, we, you know, we have that, you go, well, 23s, brilliant, but even though it might come under the academy umbrella, it's basically dictated to by the first team. Yeah. And not just at our club, but yeah. nearly every club. So first team manager goes, he will have an idea of staff to bring in. And, you know, we've already spoke about, you know, they will bring with them a first team coach, another coach, an assistant manager. Well, they'll, they'll bring people in to fill roles. And if there's a role, they'll make them vacant. So it won't go, well, no, he's developing players. They go, well, I've got someone better. He can go, I'm going to bring him in. So it's a really, you've got to be really sure and confident in your ability, but also you have to have an awareness that, and that confidence to, to sort of go, well, it might not work out and I may well be looking for another job. Uh, and I know better than, just as well as, uh, as, well as most people that, it's, it's easy to get a job when you're. In, it's easier to get a job when you're in a role. Uh, when you're out of the, when you're out of the job, and you're you're looking in, it, it's really difficult. It's, it's really hard, and it's not a, it's not a nice place to be. And so, speaking about that, because obviously a lot of coaches at the beginning of their journey listen to this podcast. What advice would you give to someone who's at the beginning and wants to get involved in academy football? You know, what's what's the you know? How do, how do forget you get, forget the money. Yeah. Forget money. You're not going to get you're not going to get rich. 
uh, and you may well have to do it for nothing. Uh, but if you've got a real desire to coach, then uh, you'll do it and, and apply yourselves. Don't, don't get sucked into, this is my philosophy, this is what, how I have that in you, but you have to be adaptable because uh, you might have a philosophy, but if the club that you're going to that, that wants you doesn't have that same philosophy, then it's not gonna work. Um, and you can't be that selective. I think you have to go in. A lot of clubs now know that, you know, we know it. Uh, it's, it's out there, it's, it's obviously uh, very open uh, how you develop players. Every club will have their own twist on it and on what they believe, and, yeah. and which is fine. But you have to take that on board, work within that structure, but know that, okay, if I go to another club, I probably wouldn't do it like this. That's fine, you know, because you want play, you want, I want coaches, and I'm sure coaches, they've got to have their personality, they've got to put their own onus on that. But remember, if you're going in at whatever team, it's not your team, it's the club's team. So, you know, we talk about he's the under-12s under coach, under-13s coach, they talk about, you know, my players, my, it's brilliant, but all you're doing, you're just facilitating this group to go and to move on. So you're, you're, all you're doing is making plays. So you're not going in as, I want to make this team, I've got to win this game because this team's great. It's irrelevant. No one's interested. No one in academy football is interested in that. Um, it's purely how you come over and, and whether, uh, whatever level and whatever age group you're at, are you suitable for that? You know, and are your coaching styles, can you adapt them to the different age groups? And what do you say about practically though, you know, those first steps? I often get asked for people, like, you know, how did I get into it? And there's different ways. What do you say to like a coach, say, look, where does he go? Does he just start going, applying for jobs or? Yeah, go in as a volunteer. Yeah. Go and apply for being a volunteer. You know, come in. Do you take volunteers at Millwall then? Is that something you do Sometimes. With, with, we do, but it's, sometimes it's, it's a little bit difficult because um, only the way it's gone now with health and safety, yeah. with you know obviously the, all the checks that's, that need to be put in place. And normally they'll come in, they'll watch a couple and then they, they sort of drift away again because there's not enough substance in it. Yeah. Um, but we have assistants that obviously don't get paid. You know, they get paid, but very little money, yeah. um, and it probably just covers, if at all, their petrol to get into the training ground. Um, so when they come in, you've got to love it. You've got to actually love coaching, and, and that that coming in and loving what you're doing is not. It's fantastic, but you've got to make. You've got to have it in your head. You, you're not going to suddenly bounce, 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 and suddenly earn all this money. Because uh, it, it's not in the in academy football, it isn't there. So you've got to have a desire to do it. Uh, but get in, volunteer, apply for jobs, but apply for jobs that you're qualified for. Because I know, because as soon as we get an application, CV come through, if the role as a mandatory, you have to have your A for B, um, Youth Mod 3, whatever it is, and you don't have them, your CV will just be put aside. Won't matter how good you are, where you are, whether I know you or not, unfortunately, that'll be put aside because we can't employ anyone like, you know, that isn't qualified to the mandatory 
qualifications. And uh, finally, just we always ask a question about any advice for players, but just just because you obviously got a really interesting backstory. We talked about it before, but obviously your dad played at West Ham. He worked in the club for his for after post that, and people might people might know because they follow you on Twitter. Your son plays at Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, I said as well. I said it earlier that I wasn't just saying this, but. As a, as came across him as an eight year old because he was going around the clubs and he had probably one of the best game understandings of a young player I'd seen. So I mean, I mean, what's your thoughts? And obviously, Tom Byer talks about you know football stars at home, the culture. I mean, do you think that's just naturally because he's been immersed in that his whole life, or was it something you specifically worked on him with? Or it's just you know being in, around in that you know a football family, if you like, yeah. it just it picks up naturally. No, it's nice. It's not easy to say you know obviously about Lewis and he's he's been. Um, yeah, he's you know we've, we've we've just had his review you know at Arsenal and he's, he's been fortunately he's been taken on again for another two years and, you know so he's going to go through under thirteen under fourteen. I think one of the things that they spoke about him was they actually speak to him as a as an under fourteen. But some of the stuff they can't speak to him as an under twelve um, because it would he wouldn't basically he, he would, wouldn't register with him. So he said, what we speak to as, a, as an under-14, that's how we speak to Lewis. So in a way, it's, I mean, it is good because it, it's obviously it shows that he's, he's quite intelligent and you know, he sees things. And I'm not saying, listen, far from me, he's not the most technically gifted footballer. If you watched him in a game, he wouldn't be your standout player. But he's got, obviously, certain things, attributes that are very strong, which a lot of them aren't coachable. Um, so, yeah, going into that... Was that how he was brought up? No, because he was brought up no different to my other son. He's, he's a different character. Just as, you know, he's, he's 19, but again, in football, but a good footballer, but completely different character to, to Lewis. So, and they were just, they're different. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, like you say, my dad was, was, was in football all his life. I've been in football from the age of 16, you know, to now. And I've got two boys in football. So, is it hereditary? Is it? It's nothing. Anything that we've done. I think the only thing I would say is that because I know, and I think the way I was, you know, I remember sitting with Dad, and he'd be going, you know, you don't go out Thursday nights, you know, even if it was just out for a meal. No, you don't go out for your house for a game. You stay in. What you do after a game, well, that's up to you. And. You know, you're thinking at the time, oh, it's nothing, you know, I'm not doing it. But it wasn't, it wasn't a case of he didn't trust me that I was going out getting drunk or, you know, staying out till three in the morning. It was just them principles. So as I said earlier, that culture. That culture that, of, yeah, yeah. of actually going, yeah, you're right. You know, and I had it with my eldest son and he's now in that mindset. No, I don't do it on a, you know, his, his mates all ringing up going, look, we've got this. Only come for an hour. No, I'm not coming. You know, so in that, now whether he makes it or not, and whether he goes on to make a career in football, don't know. But I'm pleased with that because I think he's now making he's making he's making his own decisions. They're the right ones, you know. And and, I, and that's all I can say about Lewis is I think it's helped massively that he's had an older older sibling like brother that we've got into him. Well, I say got into him. We've installed them values and, and that culture to him. And so he's not just getting it from me now, he's getting it from, from Harvey. And Harvey's probably harder on him than, than anyone. Uh, but he looks up to him. So for me, that's been a real... I think that's why Lewis is how he is.
I think I've got a lot on, on Harvey, you know. I think he's, he's been brilliant for Lewis. And, you know, I, I sort of step away and think I don't have to do much. And I'm thinking about what's quite interesting, <laughs> you going into those uh, review meetings with Lewis and then when you ask the coach <laughs> and they're thinking, right, got a dad here, but he's the head of coaching Kenny Brown, you know, a bit, it must be a bit daunting for those guys as well. Especially watching the session, I can imagine putting a session, I've had people watch my session and go, right, I better make sure I'm on it here. I suppose it must be the same for those guys. It's but. really, <laughs> it's, it's funny actually, because I, I, I'm really mindful of, of uh, uh, not just at Arsenal, really, but I really try, I truly not to be a critique. Yeah. No matter, you know, we've watched, you know, like I said, I've just completed my pro license and had the pleasure or privilege of watching uh, Pep work um, th- three different sessions. You know, one we were up in Man City for sort of four days. And then he, he went okay. to Swansea, he invited us all to watch a session, prepping for the game at Swansea on the Saturday. And we're still picking holes in, well, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, you're thinking, oh my God, hang on a minute, what am I doing? And I think that's just in your nature, you do it. But what the good thing is that you, what you don't do is, you know, you don't go, well, like, that's rubbish, actually. That's, no, and uh, that's at the top extreme, that's at the real top of the tree. So I apply that to the, the ones that are just coming in that are working with the under-11s, you know, a little bit green, not quite sure whether they're good coaches or not, but um, I think every set, I, I never go into a session looking to, to say that's a good or bad session. I, I don't even look at sessions now, really. Um, all I would look at is would it be as in the right size for the, for the amount of players, you know, is the actual structure right? Forget about the session, and whether it works or not, and what were you trying to get out of it? Did you get it out? And if you've got if you've got them out, so you know whatever whatever the session is, it doesn't matter whether it looks good. If it's a mess, if it looks messy, not sure. You know, what did you want out of that session? Well, I wanted him to be able to, you know, come inside more onto his right and bounce play. Did it come? Did it happen? Well, yeah, actually, it come. There you go. It's worked. So you've got what you wanted out of the session. So. You know, I don't, I think I've got, again, through experience probably, is I don't ever look at a session now and go, oh God. But I am mindful that they might think that because I'm watching, it it happens when you're observing coaches, they feel they've got to do this all singing, dancing, everything's got to be spot on. And I'm not even looking at any of that. and now I think they've got to know me well enough to know that I'm, I'm not doing that. I would give them advice maybe on, on maybe certain things. And the, one of the biggest things I say to coaches, don't be afraid to, I say about adaptability, but don't be afraid to change things halfway through. Or if, if something isn't working, don't just run with it because it, it, it looks messy if you suddenly make the area bigger or you take a goal out or put another... <laughs> You know, you need to introduce something else into the session. Yeah, do it. Yeah. So what? Not, don't worry about it because you, you might might all look great on paper, but actually out there, does it work? And if it isn't quite working, then, you, then be brave enough and be honest enough to go. Nah, you know what? I've made that too small, or I've, I've complicated it too much. I'm going to take that zone out. I'm going to make it a little bit easier. Brilliant. I like that. I, personally, I like that, and I also like coaches working closely together. I don't like the in isolation. I think coaches have to interact. I think you have to be able to work with with each other um, and bounce things off each other and, and have a real energy about you whenever, whenever you go into sessions, whatever age group, whatever, whether it's grassroots, academies, you know, first, you've got to be, you've got to be prepared, 
probably adaptable, but you've got to have an energy, you've got to energise everyone around you. And if you've got that, you're not going to go far wrong, you really are. So. Kenny, Matt, no, thank you very much. Top amazing. Man. Thank no, you. thanks for me. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.